The following audio session was recorded live at the 2017 Region 2 Convention in Costa Mesa, California. Please visit oar2.org for information about the 2018 convention in Sacramento and to get links for more convention recordings. Thank you for listening. And uh, I've had the honor of being on the planning committee for this convention, and I want to tell you all that it has changed how I see these kind of events because there is a lot of work that goes into that, and we've had so many people working so hard at pulling this together, and it's wonderful to see all of you here together. It's awesome. So just, yes. (laughs) Um, I would like to also mention before I introduce our speaker that um, please visit the boutique. This is a fundraiser for Region 2 as well as all of this wonderful messages we're getting. But um, it's not about just carrying the message. It's about supporting Region 2. So please visit the boutique. Um, go to the drawing room. We have so many lovely things in the, in the, uh, for drawing. Uh, that's in the Huntington Beach. It's on the same level as all of the um, programming. It's down at the end of the hall. So you can go there and you can get 50-50 tickets. Diane, you want to kind of wave that Diane is handling our, our drawing room? She's also going to be selling 50-50 tickets. If you're interested in buying some 50-50, that will be done on Sunday. And also encourage you to go to the hospitality room. Some of you have been there. It's been wonderful. It's very relaxing. They have adult coloring books. People are making God boxes. All the material is there for them. And putting puzzles together and listening to lovely music and the fellowship. So please take part in those. Okay, that's all I have to say. Um, Just welcome. I'd like to welcome our speaker. Where are you, Terrell? Oh, there you are. All right. <laughs> Hi, I'm Terrell. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, yay, 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 Um So, one of my biggest fears is, uh, about being of service is being a luncheon speaker. <laughs> Two reasons. One, you people don't stop eating and don't listen to me. So, I hear all this background noise. Three, or the second one, is that I just woofed down a meal, and it, I know that that impedes my connection. I don't like to speak, I don't like to eat before speaking, because I feel that food, no matter what it is, interferes with the channel, right? Interferes with my connection to my higher power. And uh, three... There's a third one. The luncheon speaker's got to be funny. That, that's right. The Sunday morning speaker's got to be spiritual. The, sun, the, sar, the luncheon speaker's got to be funny. The, sar, the, Monday night, I mean, the Friday night speaker's got to be inspirational, right? I, I, I don't know where I get these rules, but those are rules, right? These are, anyone else have rules like that? I mean, I just want to know. So... Anyway, um, 
And for the servers in the room, this is an anonymous program, so just be aware that you don't get to say my name outside of these rooms. Um, who here hasn't heard my story? I just don't know. I mean, I, I feel like with a podcast these days, do I tell my story? Do I just go whatever, you know? Um, I guess I should first qualify. Um, my top weight is uh, somewhere around 325 pounds. Um, and I have 38 years of abstinence. So, um, and I'm going to make, I always like to put this right out there very front. I'm an opinionated old timer. Done. I have an opinion. And uh, if you're new, and for me, a newcomer is 10 years or less of abstinence, then uh, I really don't care. I just really don't care. Um, and that's my opinion. And you can be all up in, your, up in the arms about it. But it wasn't my original idea about being a newcomer. Um, I heard this speaker say it. And I was like, oh, who does she think she is? I got three years of absence. And then, but the small, still voice inside of me heard or said, she knows. She understands. So there's... I'm an abstinence thumper. I believe in long-term, day-in, day-to-day-out, back-to-back abstinence. You can reap small benefits of this program by coming in and going to meetings. You can experience a small little bit of relief. You can experience a small bit of relief by getting two, three days of absence together and then binging for a day or two and then getting five days of absence together and binging for a day or two. You can get small bits of relief. But baby, why sell yourself short? This program, this t- program is outlined in the 12 and 12, the big book of, is, guarantees us joy, happiness, and freedom. Guarantees us. You will become joyous, happy, and free. Now, if you're like me, I wasn't experiencing that um, for many years, even though I had long-term abstinence. When the promises were read, I was going like, oh my God, I hate the promises because it's not all happening. It's like I still have fear of people and all this stuff. And it wasn't until I had about nine years of abstinence did, it not, did I start not being a fear, afraid of the, of the promises. I always like to say, are you using the 12 steps as a whipping stick or as a measuring stick? And I, for many years, I've used the I have used the 12 steps as a whipping stick because I'm not perfect. I'm not good enough. I should be better. I should be doing more. I always like to say that if you followed me around the day, you would go like, wow, you call yourself abstinent? Wow. You're working a 12-step program? Wow. I uh, like, you know, but I also know that for somehow, some reason, I'm joyous, happy, and free. And when I came in, I wasn't. And when I came in, I was not joyous, happy, and free. I, uh, <clears throat> I'll give a brief little... I've got probably another 35 minutes, so I get to tell a little bit about my story, for those that don't know. Um, I always like to say I was born, right? Because that's what happened. There I was born to this alcoholic family, this totally dysfunctional family, um, no tools for living. The, the things that I heard as a child growing up was, don't tell the neighbors everything you know. Um, 
if you want something done right, do it yourself. Um, you got to have backbone. The devil gets the hindmost, right? Those are the things that I, those are the tools I had growing up. Um, and there's also yelling and fighting and screaming. Uh, I mean, my, my sister is a heroin addict. Why not be, you know, turning tricks on Hollywood Boulevard for a six-pack of beer? Uh, my, oh, my other brother is a dean of science at a state university. Of course, he's the overachiever, right? He's the, in the adult term of alcoholic families, he's the overachiever. He's the super one. Gets up at 4.30 every morning and gets on his treadmill, right? Um, my uh, other brother is, you know, was overweight. I know, has the ism. So in our family, we just had to get out. We just had to get out. And there was, it wasn't like, oh, let's be comfortable in our home life and, oh, my God, this lovely, dovey family and so forth come together. It was like, no. And I would, I mean, I would go away to school. I would go to school and be picked on and called, be called Terrell the Barrel. And, you know, nowadays we call it bullying. Back then it was just I was just a fat kid in school, and so I was being picked on. And I'd come home, and there was no one there, and there, or if there was, there was arguing and fighting. And so I had to find a way to escape life. And I found a good way to escape life, and I discovered it at age four, and it was called a fudgesicle. <laughs> and a fudgesicle, when I ate that fudgesicle, I can remember it came from this dairy in Orange County, and it, it, it brought me relief. It gave me that one moment of relief where I felt okay. Like, I really felt like, okay. Now, that's age four. Well, you know, being from this addiction, addictive family, once you find something that makes you feel okay, you're going to go after that thing repetitively until you can and just burn it out. So I got up to 325 pounds chasing that fudge sickle. Now, it wasn't always fudge sickles. Um, going from my household, I, I had to... Um, my binge food of choice was dried spaghetti. Um, because it wasn't countable. I don't think anyone counted how much dried spaghetti was in the house. Ice cream was measured. Bread was measured. But I'm sure my mother must have gone there in the pantry and was like, I thought I had spaghetti in here. <laughs> but, you know, I would, I would go in the pantry and grab some dried spaghetti and eat it in the bathroom. Sneak eating. You know, I've yet to meet a compulsory reader who doesn't like to eat alone. That's our, I think that's our, our go-to motto, it, you know, MO, it's just like, let me just eat alone. Part of it is because we're in isolators. Part of it is because we have a shame probably of every bite of food we put in our mouth. I very, very rarely do meet a composer who really relishes eating full-blown in front of a group of people the way they want to eat. We're secretive people that way. So I was, I was eating in the bathroom. Um, <clears throat> what happened was I wound up going to my first OA meeting when I was 17. I'm 61 now. So if you want to do the math, uh, that was not how, that's not my first abstinence. But I went to my first meeting, and I uh, heard the speaker say that he lost 100 pounds. And it was an amazing thing for me because I, I, um, I, didn't, I, I was hopeless. I was literally this hopeless 17-year-old boy. The way I wound up going to that meeting was I was thinking, like, I'm about ready to graduate high school, and I've just wasted four years of, call, of high school. I'm going to go away to college and waste four years of college. And I'm going to waste the rest of my life because I'm fat. 
And it was, literally was, the fat was going to debilitate me and ruin my life. Now, I come from the school of thought that you can be 30 pounds overweight, you can be maybe 40 pounds overweight, and not be a compulsive overeater. You just have bad eating habits. You just don't, you know, don't get up and exercise. But the thing about a compulsive overeater, when we eat, it kills us. It literally, it, we have so many other issues that go with that, with that food that we literally, and with the weight, that we become debilitated. And so I was debilitated by my weight. I was debilitated by all the negative things that goes with it. And here I am, a 17-year-old boy being hopeless. If you come to think of a 17-year-old boy being hopeless about life, that's a shame. But that's where I was. So I came in my first meeting. This man said he lost 100 pounds. And I thought, oh, my God, it can be done. So it gave me hope. And I always like to say, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. I'm a man who has lost 100 pounds and has kept it off for over 38 years. Now that... If that's all you want, is to lose weight and keep it off, Ovaries Anonymous is the place for you. Now, we might ask you to do some other things. <laughs> the same. Now, the first time around, I wasn't willing to do those other things. I didn't need to write, a, I didn't need to write four step. Well, I couldn't write four step because they had all these deep, dark secrets. I couldn't, um, I didn't trust God because God was this omnipower, I was raised religious, so I knew about God and he was all-powerful, omnipotent. And I'm, here I am at 300-pound fat kid with, with uh, alcoholic parents who are drinking and fighting. So I got the gig, right? My, the reason why I'm in this situation is because I'm being punished for all those horrible thoughts I had, all those horrible deeds I had. That was my punishment. So you know what? I, I mean, like, why would I turn my will and my life over the care of that asshole, right? I mean, that was my, that's my idea. So I always say if you, have a, if you have a hard time in step three, fire that asshole of a god you got. Right? Just get rid of the God. Right? If you have a hard time in step three, because that means that some higher power is basically out to get you. Which, if you're from my family, everyone's out to get you. Right? And I'm a victim, so therefore I'm totally a victim, so therefore it's God's, you know, victimizing me. So I couldn't really work the program, but I, they offered me this gray sheet of paper, and it had a food plan on it, and I lost uh, basically about 125 pounds in about six months. Um, and uh, if y'all want, if you come up to me after the the uh, after I speak and say, "What was this gray sheet of paper?" Don't bother. That's not my story. That's not what I'm about. The answer is not in a food plan. Any food plan will work if you stick to it. The problem is, how do I stick to it? Right? I mean, you. I mean, any diet in the magazine will work if you stick to that diet. So it's not a matter of like, oh, well, we can just find that perfect food plan. And I hear all the time people trying to make their food, plan, their food plan their higher power. Like, no, it don't work that way. There is no ideal perfect food plan. There is none. It's not going to change your life. Now, it's a tool. It's a tool of ours, but it's not going to change your life. So, um, you know, and I always say, like to say that, uh, of course I lost weight because I'm a 17-year-old boy and I went from binging to eating two eggs and an orange for breakfast, right? And working on a shipping loading dock. I was exercising, cutting down my calories. Guess what? That, you know, that's what happens. You know, I wish to God I was a freak of nature. And I like to talk about this. 
that, you know, for somehow I could eat whatever I want, whenever I want. You know those people that say they can eat whatever and they, they just seem, can't seem to gain weight? Fuck. I mean, um, <laughs> bless their heart. Right? Bless their heart. So anyway, um, so basically I, I lost the weight, but I didn't work on the things that made me seek excess food. And we're very clear in this program. If you, do not, if you do not work on the things that made you seek excess food, you will repeat that behavior and go get excess food. So I didn't write the inventory. I didn't get a sponsor. Well, I asked this one person to be my sponsor. She said yes. And then during the break and after the meeting, she came and she says, um, listen, my sponsor told me I've got too many sponsees. I can't sponsor you. Well, I've been so used to rejection all my life. I got that. So why am I going to ask anyone else again? Um, and the, <clears throat> so the question, so then basically I had to go back out and eat. And I got back to about 250 pounds, 275 pounds. Then I dealt with my deep, dark secrets, and then I came out of the closet. So those of you who didn't know I was, that I'm gay, I'm, let me make it publicly known, now I'm gay. Back then, it was what I was eating over. You know, I believe that we eat over our sexuality. Whether you're gay, straight, whatever, sexuality, you know, intimacy, relationships, all that stuff is so much easier if I can just put a wall up of, of fat between me and everybody else because it keeps me isolated. So my feeling, my thought was, well, if I'm 325 pounds, what difference does it make what, what my sexuality is? So that was my escape out. So when I came out of the closet, and I like to t- say this, but it's so true about my life, is it said, uh, uh, the, the, before I came out, they said, Terrell, if you lose the weight, you'll get the girls. <laughs> After I came out, they said, Terrell, if you lose the weight, you'll get the boys. I was like, okay, now we're talking, okay, okay. <laughs> I also had developed this very nervous stomach because I'm an obsessive personality. So I went around, um, I, I was like trying to decide whether I was going to come out of the closet. And so I got this like, very nervous stomach. Also, I discovered the wonderful world of fasting, um, which I blame you people for. Because you told me the first time around, it's not the hundredth bite that puts the weight on, it's the first. So I learned that I'm a compulsive eater at, at age 17. I learned if I didn't take that first bite all day long, I'm safe from food. And I can say safe from food to normies, and they do not get it. But in these rooms, when we say safe from food, we get it because food is the enemy. It's our, lo- it's our love. It's our partnership. It's everything in it to us, but it's also the enemy. That's why the 12 and 12 calls it a rapacious creditor, right? The food, will, food takes care of us. Food will t- continue to take care of us. The problem is the price it pays on our soul, the price it takes on us, Sometimes that price is too steep, and that's what comes. It, what will flip us from willing to be abstinent just today, because the price became too steep today. And I've seen people where the price was not steep enough, or other things become more important. I find the the number one reason why people go out is because other things become more important. Oh, that what that person thinks of me. My job becomes more important. My relationship becomes more important. Getting laid becomes more important. Uh, whatever. Everything, financial security becomes more important. So next thing you know, as opposed to making absence the number one thing in our lives, I see them drift away. And it's, it's, it, I have yet to see someone just go like, oh, well, I was work, going to meetings seven days a week, and I just decided I didn't want to be absent anymore. No, I don't hear that. What I hear is, oh, I got busy, life came, became big, oh, I had this, someone died, oh, you know, and it's like, you're off. And that's that pain that, you know, the ultimate sacrifice, according to our literature. 
Anyway, um, so I got down to 160 pounds, might not eat anything all day long. You know, you just don't eat. Just don't eat. Which is about 25, 30 pounds less than I weigh now. You don't eat. Except the problem is I'm a compulsive eater. I'm not anorexic. So at 2 o'clock in the morning on the way home from the discotheque, I would stop at, at, at the donut stand because that's where my grandmother's love was. That's where the love was. It was always pink lights and so forth. And it was like, you know, and there were always older women there serving donuts at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I would go get my fix. And I, would, I always like to say I never ordered a dozen donuts. I would just order nine or ten, because if you order a dozen donuts, you're a compulsive overeater. <laughs> but if you order an odd number, then, then they think you're buying it for the office tomorrow. That was my thinking. Um, and so that, <clears throat> and I always like to, I always clarify, never, it wasn't donuts, because uh, when I'm in my disease, I have something called financial insecurity. Anyone know about that? It has nothing to financial stability, but financial insecurity, and I don't pay for holes in my food. I just don't. I don't eat. I don't. I didn't. Eat, I didn't eat Swiss cheese, because part of my food's missing. And when I'm in that mode, I want it all. Do not take holes in put holes in my food. So donut has holes. So I eat apple fritters. <clears throat> By the way, I don't know if there's any policy about mentioning specific food at, this, at the Region 2, but I'm an opinionated old-timer. And if me talking about an apple fritter makes you get up from here and go eat an apple fritter, don't be blaming me and the speaker. Do not be blaming me and the speaker or blaming me and whatever. That was because you made a conscious decision that you'd rather go eat an apple fritter than hear the message, right? That, that means you didn't ask, stop any one of us on the way out the door to go like, hey, I feel like the speaker talked about apple fritters, and all I heard was apple fritter, apple fritter, apple fritter, and I just want an apple fritter now. If you go out the door and don't t- talk to any of us, that's on you, not on us. So don't be blaming you and going like, oh, I'm a victim here because I went to apple fritter because the speaker talked about apple fritters. Did I say I ate an apple fritter? If we don't talk about what our disease is, what our symptoms is, what the, what the friggin' we, we do, we eat. That's what we do. We turn to food to get rid of the feeling so I can be numb inside so I don't have to feel a thing because life is too hard. And the literature says I'm a sensitive person, right? It just says we're sensitive. Other people call it childlike or childish, I think, is actually what it is. We're just childish, right? Impetuous. You know, I love it when people raise their hands and say they're a compulsive reader because then I get to know all about you. Oh, you're petty. <laughs> you get jealous. Oh, you know what? You, you just, you friggin' just, life doesn't go right all the time and you just get upset. And you're just like, oh my God, can we talk about how small you are and how sniveling, like, oh. No, it sounds like I'm talking about my sponsees. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Um, oh, <clears throat> so I was, so I was, I was maintaining my weight at 160 pounds, um, on the donut diet and God bless, you know, the newcomer. Cause this newcomer that came to me once after a meeting and said, well, if the donut diet worked, why'd you stop? <laughs> now, what do you say to that? Keep coming back. <laughs> so let me tell you why the donut diet, why I stopped the donut diet. Cause I was frigging crazy. 
crazy. I was malnourished. I wasn't getting enough nourishment in my body. I couldn't deal with life. I, wasn't, I didn't have good coping skills. And I was like literally just insane. Is that a good enough reason to stop the donut diet? Okay. So anyway, what happened? Um, I wound up being um, fitted for contact lenses. And back in those days, you were, they had to send away for them. And so I would get my prescription done, come back two weeks later, and they'd put the, prescri- the contact lens in my eyes. My, my prescription kept changing. And this was back in the day when it was my, the doctor, my eye doctor who operated my eyes, so he definitely knew what he was doing. He was a you know, full-fledged doctor, whatever. And uh, so he, uh, he couldn't get my prescription right. So he asked me a, a simple question. He said, Terrell, is there a history of hypoglycemia and diabetes in your family? And I said, yes. He said, are you eating sugar? <laughs> From that laugh, I think y'all know what we do. What do we do when people ask, about, ask us about our food? You just lie, right? You simply lie. That's all it is. You come down like, I don't know how I got so fat. I don't know. I don't know. I don't eat anything. I eat a, like, I just, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm big bone. Right? You know, and I, I mean, I used to say I was big bone, and now, I mean, I have a Fitbit, and I was like, oh my God, like, I have no bone, right? I'm small. But Lord knows I was big bone when I'm 325 pounds. It wasn't big bone. My bones didn't shrink, the, the, my body shrunk. Anyway, um, where was I? Oh, so, so he asked me if I was eating sugar, and I said a little, right? Because, okay, so I want to, so those of you who know my story, but this is really true. Like, to me, nine or ten donuts is not a lot of sugar. A three-pound box of seized chocolate is a lot of sugar. Because when you get to, when you start doing a three-pound box of seized chocolate, You've got to do the chemistry work, right? You've got to get some protein in you to balance out the high from the sugar. So you're trying to get that right mix, right? That perfect mix, you know? So I can keep the, so I can keep the binge going because if I get too much sugar in me, I get too amped up. It's kind of like us, you know, even today, us walking down the grocery store aisle. You know, I like to say it's like us, a compulsory walking down a grocery store aisle as like a, with a divining rod going like, what is it? What is it that's going to make me feel good? Like it's over, it's over there. No, no, no. That, that's not going to make me feel, oh, that's over there. Like, we, you know, when we're in that, when we're going in front of the refrigerator, what is it? What is that magic food? And this is even true when we're abstinent, right? But when you're binging, it's even, it's the foods that we choose are just like, is it Oreo cookies or is it Oreo cookies smashed together with chocolate chip cookies? Then, then the ice cream and then I'm going to mess some chocolate on top. When you're abstinent, it's like, is it going to be an apple or is it going to be a celery or rice cakes? I don't, you know, there's a big difference there. I don't know. Anyway, what, where, where am I going? Oh, so, so I said, uh, yeah, a little. And he said, well, if I didn't stop eating sugar, I'd be blind within a year. Um, I then went to Europe and put on 30 pounds in six weeks. Um, to put on 30 pounds in six weeks, that's five pounds a week. That's basically a pound a day. You, don't, you can imagine that I wasn't eating um, green beans, right? It was binged my way through Europe. And I had to binge my way through Europe because I was on there in Europe by myself. Or actually, was with, with this guy I kind of dated for, for the first week and then was out on my own. And I didn't know how to do with all my emotions and feelings and anxieties. And I, I was scared and... Traveling around Europe by myself, I, you know, as it, back then it wouldn't be an adventure. It was like all about fear and anxiety and so forth. And so the only way I know how to do with all that fear and anxiety was to binge. 
right? That, I mean, that's, who, that's compulsive readers. If, when you said you raised your hand as a compulsive reader, that means you have an emotion and feeling, you don't like it, so you're going to do something about it, and the way you're going to do something about it is you're going to eat something. That's what we do as compulsive overeaters. When you raised your hand and said you're a compulsive reader, that's what you said. Now, you could just think you're raising your hand and saying I'm a compulsive reader just to fill in with the group maybe, but no, it's because we all know who you are. We know how petty you are. We know how you will use food when all else fails. And usually, if you're binging, nothing else, you don't give anything else a chance to fail. You just go for it. Anyway, so I'm binging my way through Europe, and I remember thinking out loud in my head, I can still see. When things start to go gray, that's when I'll stop. And I always love to tell that story. Because that tells me where my disease will take me. My disease is saying, screw the eyesight. Just get one more bite of chocolate. Just one one more bite of chocolate. We never... I mean, very rarely do a lot of us start out for a binge, right? We don't think it's going to be like a week-long binge or a weekend binge. Sometimes we set that up. But a lot of times it's just like, oh, I'm just going to have a little bite. Just one more bite. Just one more bite. I, I led this great retreat up in uh, Vancouver, Washington. Or Vancouver, Canada. Anyway, up north. And I said something like, you know, once we start the binge, we never know when it's going to end. And this gal raised her hand and she said, I did. I always knew when the binge was going to end. I said, you did? She said, yeah, it was always going to end tomorrow. And that's us, right? The binge will end tomorrow. But, baby, right now, the binge can end today. Let me tell you, the binge can end now. It can end now. Not, not tomorrow, but today. End now. Don't worry about tomorrow, whether tomorrow you're going to binge. And if you're new, if you're out here listening to this podcast, it can stop now. And you never have to binge again. We promise you, we promise you, you never ever have to binge again. Period. Guaranteed in writing, in our literature, period. And if you think you're crazy and stupid and whatever, smarter than, and that it doesn't apply to you that you're different, look around you. Everyone in this room thought the same thing. (laughs) There's a boy out there nodding his head who looked at me once and he was I think I was sponsoring him at the time, and I, he, I was going like something about, you know, freedom or something like that. He says, yeah, but I didn't have. And I looked him straight in the face and said, don't you ever, ever do that to me again. Don't you ever belittle the program that I worked. I worked my ass off so I could be this happy, joyous, and free. There was no secret handshake. No old-timer pulled me inside and said, here's a special book for you. When I came in, I was crying my eyes out, sitting on raggedy old couches in the Gay and Lesbian Community Service Center, crying about boys, crying about my job, crying. I was noted as in my second year of abstinence, I was in this very sick relationship. I cut my hand, trying to pull the knife away from him, is because he was going to slash my sofa. And I had this guy come up to me several years later and says, oh, my God, whenever you talk from the podium, you just go like, oh, please, don't let him talk about his boyfriend. Oh, please. I'm one of those sick ones. I'm one of those sick mofos that came in were willing to sacrifice my eyesight for one more bite of chocolate. And you think, you think that you're special and unique? Drop the human ego. So 
What happened? I, I know I get a little preachy sometimes. It's my Baptist upbringing. Um, I was supposed to be funny. Never mind. Let me go back. Okay. So, so what happened is I came back to Los Angeles, and I got abstinent. And I, I, I had three reasons why I couldn't do Overs Anonymous. One is because I was gay. Two is because I was male. And three, I couldn't do that, that regimented food plan. And that's the reason why I stayed away from ovaries and amis for a while. Um, but food beat me up, right? It says John Barleycorn is our best advocate. And so what happened was food beat me up, right? I went away to Europe, came back 30 pounds heavier, couldn't see the guy I was dating because I was too ashamed. I was too ashamed about everything. My life was about shame. And I could not, like, I, so I knew, I, at age 17, I was told I hit the last house on the block, and when you hit the last house on the block at 17, where are you going to go? Walk around the block again and wind up at the same place? So I wound up at the same place again at age 21, 22. And I, uh, at my first meeting, it was here in Orange County, and there was this guy spoke who was a moderate mealer. And I found out there was a meeting at the Gay and Lesbian Community Service Center every night up in Los Angeles. So all my excuses that kept me away from Overs and Amis were bogus. So any excuse you have to keep you away from us is bogus. No one here has said you're not welcome. No one. No one has the right to say you're not welcome. And if someone says you're not welcome, tell them you're breaking the traditions. You are welcome here in Overs Anonymous. No matter what you look like, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you just can't be unruly in a meeting. That's all we ask. Do not be unruly in a meeting. So... So I came back to Overs Anonymous. I got absent. I started. I was got, got a food sponsor. Was started sponsoring, and um, I had a spiritual awakening because I, I was like this. I was walking out of a meet, walking through a park after a meeting, and I heard this small, still voice say to me, "Terrell, you're going to be all right. You've as much right to be here as that tree, and you're loved." And it was the first in my life I didn't feel like I was breathing your air. Do you know what it feels like to live your life, feel like you're breathing other people's air? And any second they can snatch it away from you? Any second, with one look, with one glance, with one word, they can take your breath away. That's where I came into program with. So for the, my spiritual experience is realizing that I had as much right to be on the planet as a tree. And so I, I was... I got very, you know, like I said, I became involved. But after about three months, I went to my sponsor and I said, you know, Paul, I'm sick and tired of going to these rooms full of fat-ass people talking about their problems. I'm sick and tired of being told what I can and cannot eat, when I can and cannot eat. I want to go live my life. I want to be out dancing with the boys in Palm Springs on a Friday night. I want to be sitting in some damn meeting at Cedar sinai Hospital. I am done. And Paul said some magic words to me. He says, Terrell, remember, you're leaving us. We're not leaving you. If you ever want to come back, we'll be here. My attitude was, well, thank you for sharing. <laughs> and I drove back down to Long Beach from my sponsor's house in, in Hollywood. And I remember saying all the time as I was driving back to, down to Long Beach, going, okay, God, you're me. We're going to do what I, we're going to help these people. No, I'm going to eat what I want. We're going to go live my life. God, we're going to go have fun. Well, okay. And I spent the entire time talking to God. The entire time talking to God. And I realized now what I need to do is shut up and listen. I need to shut up and listen. So, what happened is I wound up about two, three weeks later um, breaking my abstinence um, on January 5th, 1979, and I had two pieces of toast. And that's my last binge. 
I always like to say, if I, could, if I knew it was me my last one, I might have done better. <laughs> but my absence has always been no sugar and no flour. I am hopelessly addicted to sugar, and I'm hopelessly addicted to flour. When I eat sugar, I want more, and I, just, and I get amped up. And when I eat flour, I get lethargic, and I just want more. That's the reason why I'm a donut junkie, because you take flour and sugar, mix it together, you frighten hot grease, pull it out, and put more sugar on it, and it keeps us, or it keeps me level. Doesn't get me too amped up or too low. That's why I'm a donut junkie, and I know it clear cut, because it levels me out. Because the reason why I binge, the reason why I eat is because I want to be numb. I don't want to be too amped up, I don't want to be too lethargic, I want to be numb. That's why we eat. That's why we eat. Not because it tastes good. We want to be numb because life is too hard. Right? Um, so now I have basically, basically four and a half minutes to talk about what it's like now. I like to, I like to make it clear that my, my program is different now than it was when I was new. I don't do the same things now that I do new. I don't write hardly at all anymore. When I was new, I wrote every day. Now, I told you new is 10 years or less, right? Build a foundation. My sponsor, I once told my, my sponsor, I said, give me an inventory to write. She says, you don't need to write any more inventory. You just need to do it. You know what the problem is. You know what the situation is. Change. Now, in our literature, and the doctor's opinion says we need a moral psychic change, you cannot do the same shit that you did today and expect to stay abstinent. If you, or that you did when you binged. You cannot repeat that behavior and expect to be happy, joyous, and free. We have to change. I cannot live my life the way I did when I was new. I can't live my, live my life the way I did before I came into program. I have to continually grow and change. If I do not change, I will binge. Period. That's what our literature says. Change or binge. Grow or binge. And the way we grow is by we work a 12-step program. Those are the tw- that's the way we learn how to grow. We come in and say, I'm powerless for food. My life is unmanageable. Okay. If your life is unmanageable, you better find something that's going to help you out. So you find a power greater than you. I'm an atheist. I wasn't always an atheist. But now I'm an atheist. But my higher power is peace, love, hope, kindness, tolerance, trust, laughter. You turn, so I turn my will, my life over the care of, on a daily basis, to peace, love, hope, kindness, trust, laughter, tolerance. There's another one I throw in there. That's my higher power. You got a problem with it? Go talk to someone else. Works for me. Your God will kill me. My God will kill you. Period. Your absence will kill me. My absence will kill you. If we understand that, then we have a good understanding. So since I turned my will my life over of this power, now one thing I do is I had to clean up my house, right? Which is a four-step. I had to look at who I was. Because everything was done to me. I'm a victim. Everything is done to me. I don't have an effect in this. I had to look at my part. And then I had to go like, oh, shit. Oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, excuse me. Um, I've done some stuff. I've got to change. And step six and seven says, you can't change. You can't change yourself. Don't even bother trying. You tried. If you tried before you came in the program, you tried to have self-esteem. You didn't get it. You just hate yourself more. Step six and seven says, okay, I'm going to turn my will, my life over to this power greater than me, and I trust that that higher power will. Now, it also means that I'm going to do, have to make some amends along the way. So I made some amends. Now, I love step 10 because step 10 tells me, oh, you're going to screw up again. Oh, you're going to screw up again. Yep, we know you. You're not perfect. You're going to screw up again, and you've got to go clean that stuff up. Step 11, 
Praying only for the knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. Period. I don't get to pray for stuff. I don't pray for anything. All I get to do is pray for the knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that I get to pray for the, for the knowledge of what peace, love, hope, kindness, tolerance, trust, and laughter will bring into this situation. Step 12. I get to go out and share this message, and I get to walk the way I talk. I'm an old-timer. That means I have to behave accordingly. I look at some, old t- uh, some people in a few years of absence and go like, Really? You're the shining example? I need to be a shining example of this program. Me showing up in a meeting, I know, is a shining example. Anonymity? I want to talk about anonymity. There are no stars or VIPs in this program. When I walked in, it said I was, Elvis was in the building. I'm not Elvis. I'm a compulsive overeater who struggles who has worked a dynamite program because I had to. And if I didn't, I'd be 500 pounds and dead. Literally. Now, it's the choice is yours today. Step three. You can turn your will and life over the care of your higher power, whatever it is, or to food. Your decision. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Terrell. That was awesome. Um, I would like to remind you that audio recordings from all sessions of the convention can be purchased outside in the foyer. And I also got a text while we were at lunch saying, can you make announcements at meals and meetings that there's a sale at the boutique, fill a bag for $10. We have some bags, but you can also bring your own. If anybody has any of those IKEA bags, this would be a good time to use them. Can we stand and join hands for our closing prayer, Lynn? everybody. My name is Lynn, and I'm a real compulsive overeater. Hi. Closing prayer. My creator, I am now ready that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defective character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Coming back. It works when you work it and you're worth it. <laughs> Thank you, honey.